won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, Sits and Sibs. You're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 84 and was recorded on August 14th and then made available for download on August 18th at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Lennon. And I'm Jeff. Well, what have we got this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, Tony is going to get it all out of his system. Really? Sure. Are you? Is this real? For is real. Is this copyright? I mean it. Once and for all, I guess. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, Patch 1.1.6 Alpha, some discussion inspired by Retaliator Module Q&A, and the Star Marine update. In Nuggets for Nuggets, we're raising money for a good cause, with some bad trinkets. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Suits and Sibs, you can help us to bring you more of the show you love by visiting our website, guardfrequency.com, and clicking on the Patreon button. For the low, low price of $1.25 per episode, you can become a backer and get access to the unedited recordings of the show a whole three days before our Tuesday release. Of course, we're happy to share our labour of love with you each week, free of charge, but it is nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. We want to thank the folks who've already chipped in, and we hope that you consider making a regular contribution. For the more support we get, the better show we can make. Hey folks, we got some bad news in the podcasting world this week. A friend of Priority One Productions had some bad medical luck lately and could use a hand if you've got one to spare. Mav from Stoked Radio has a GoFundMe page up, and if you can spare a dime, we'll put a link in the show notes. Any help you can give would be appreciated, I'm sure. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. By now, fans of Star Citizen have hopefully digested all the news out of Cologne, Deutschland, last week. Some of it was expected, the AC 2.0 demo, for instance. Some was surprising, like the player-flyable Glaive. I didn't see that coming. And some of it was pure vindication for a certain subset of guard frequency hosts. Well, me, specifically. Now, there have been comments by certain other hosts and certain loyal listeners, which suggests that perhaps I might take the concept images displayed by a certain computer peripheral manufacturer and go off the rails a bit. You know, uh, never hear the end of it was a phrase I believe was employed. Well, you're right. You're not going to hear the end of it because I'm going to tell you about the beginning of it. The Noble Trackball was invented in 1946 by Ralph Benjamin of the British Royal Navy Scientific Service. Originally a closely guarded military secret, the steel sphere and rubber wheel rollerball was the user interface of a radar intercept console patented in 1947. The Canadians took the design and attached it to a revolutionary, at the time, naval battle management system called DATAR, or Digital Automated Tracking and Resolving, back in 1952. In true Canadian fashion, the British steel sphere input surface was replaced with a bowling ball. I am not making that up. Fast forward another 10 years to the dawn of the microcomputer age. In 1963, computer engineers ditched the ball for a table surface, deciding that moving a wooden box with two wheels underneath was really the way to go, and the first mouse was born. 
Later, the first computer ball mouse named Rolkugel, model RKS 100-86 from the German company Telefunken, put the ball back in play. It also ushered in a 30-year era of everyone cleaning Cheetos powder and pencil shavings from their control interface. But in all those long years, the trackball never died. Defense computers, public terminals, and true gaming enthusiasts all kept the faith. And now, in 2015, with the rebirth of the space sim, the trackball rises again. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I, well, I've been moved to, to poetry. Mikey, if you please. Some balls are used for maneuvering when your ship is in distress. But when they're used for gimbal aiming, they're the balls that I like best. My balls are always spinning from the left to the right. It's my belief that twin track balls should be spun every night. Everybody! We got track balls. Big twin track balls. Joystick track balls. Throttle track balls. He's got track balls. She's got track balls. But we've got the quickest balls of them all. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get taken home with me. Our crowdfunding update for August 14, 2015, 87246000 up $1.1 million. Star citizens, uh, their ranks have swollen by 21,000 to 959.5. And the UEE fleet has grown by 13,000 ships to 750,000. It's almost as if there was an event or a thing in the recent past that made people sign up in droves. Did I miss something while I was gone last week? Yes. No. no. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I'm contradictory anyway, so what does it matter what I say, right? So, a week after 1.1.6 comes out, CIG delivers us the A version. Some tweaks and fixes, some balances and some repairs, all aimed at keeping the best damn space sim alpha ever improving incrementally. Here are a few highlights from the patch notes. The start locations for race mode have been improved, so maybe the starting line will no longer be a shrapnel field of death. Maybe. <laughs> the Gladius now has stronger wings. The rate of fire on the plasma cannon has been increased slightly. Vandal Swarm and Race Mode will no longer match players in mid-game. The fourth player queuing for a Vandal Swarm will no longer be placed in their own instance. Penalty for self-destruct will no longer be applied to all subsequent normal deaths. Generic Instant Manager and matchmaking server's performance should be improved. Vandal Weapons on the Scythe and the Glaive, the War Neutron Cannon and the Weak Laser Cannon will now overheat properly. The left Plasma Cannon on the Vandal Glaive is now pointed in the proper direction. Everyone should now get a warning about the self-destruct penalty. Well, Lennon, you wanted regular patches. Yes. You wanted them to start yes. with the clockwork improvements. You wanted them to, to release regularly. I think they heard you. Yeah, I no. I think they're doing it. I'm glad because uh, it was a drought for a while with yes. no patches. And now there are patches every week. In fact, it wasn't even quite a week between 1.6 and 1.1.6a, I believe. Now, with the opportunity of these frequent patches and frequent iterations, there is uh, the opportunity to make improvements. And uh, you and I were discussing before the show that you think there is one area in particular that you think deserves some attention. Yeah, so I know that the game is still in alpha. 
I know that right. there's a lot of tuning still left to be done, and I know that this sure. comes up time and time again on 10 for the Chairman. People ask about controller balance. Now, I'm not expecting anything right now, but I'm not sure if you're aware recently because running for the president of Cambodia must have taken a bit of time out of last week for you. So oh, yeah, you might be a, a draining experience. Exactly. Yeah. Although having just sang the song that we just sang, you might be up to speed on certain events. But <laughs> they, a couple things. Yeah, yeah. The release, or, uh, or rather the announcement of the RSI HOTUS keyboard mouse touch screen microwave kitchen sink add-on system that popcorn they developed. popper yeah you know everything that you could ever possibly want in one now they were saying that when you have a controller and all controllers will play equally it's not to say that all controllers will have the same functions or the same number of buttons or the same amount of trackballs or whatever but that all controllers will play equally the rsi hotus and this is where i might need jeff's input i believe is kind of unique in having trackballs on there at sort of the entry level that they're going for into the market that's a relatively uncommon feature is it not uh yeah it's pretty uncommon yeah so they're clearly trying to break new ground here like with everything that they do which is fantastic now i hate to use this word but i was thinking about it and i i might have a a concern about this oh. in relation to controller balance. I know, I'm sorry. It's a Did I hear word. the brackets around that? Um, I heard the brackets around that, didn't I? Y- yeah, I, I think that's what they were. Um, I might have mm. done air quotes, but you can't really yeah. see it. So <laughs> I'm just going to... Anyway, um, let's just take a step outside of this industry for a second. When you have something, for example, a mobile phone, a company mm-hmm. like Google who are heavily invested in the Android project, they will issue a phone like the Google Nexus, and that is their, like, bar. That is what they say, this is the definitive Android experience this is what we're pegging our builds to. I'm wondering okay. if Star Citizen's doing the same with the RSI controller. They're saying that this is the controller that we're releasing. It has a stick with several trackballs on it. This is what we are going to be pegging our controller balance to. Because to hmm. me, that would just make any other controller that doesn't have a trackball, and I, sorry, I should prefix this with Tony. Uh, you can quote this for all eternity. This would make any other controller that doesn't have a trackball inferior surely Mm. and therefore balance becomes a bit of an issue i guess it's to the level that you want to control your ship because you buy certain controllers i mean you could literally lennon you could buy an xbox controller plug it into your computer and you know use a gamepad if you wanted that's exactly what i'm doing actually so i think that the standard for controllers is to make as many controllers functional and i'm sure there's a baseline somewhere but i'm not sure that the star citizen hotas would be the baseline for this because i might have a awesome controller with hall sensors and you know 64 buttons and switches and deep programming i think it's all a matter of the control level that you want to have yeah and i think that the other part of that between jeff's point of being functional with as as many varieties of controllers as possible and lennon being worried about this is the you know the one controller to rule them all i think maybe what it is is the rsi labeled or branded controller should have the most capable controller set of all of them mostly because the hardware is going to be designed to take full advantage of all aspects of the game's code the software that they're designing has a lot of unique features in it you know the flight model is different than anything else i don't know of any other game that has turrets and localized physics on a larger size ship. There's gonna be a lot of stuff that the code's doing that no human has ever played with before in a video game environment. Therefore, 
no interface, no you know, human interface device on the market right now will be able to take full advantage of all the possible interactions in the game. RSI, CIG, they're saying, here is a controller set, a modular controller set, that if you purchased it at all, you will have the sine qua non of everything that you would ever want to do to interact with our game. Now, that doesn't mean that the individual components are maybe superior or inferior to anything that's on the market right now, but the amalgamation of all of them would be. And if you were to purchase all of the bits and pieces, you would have a gaming experience superior to everybody else because you've got the hardware that was designed to work with software. And, you know, basically what a controller is, is, is the input device that is going to, you twist one way or twist another and it's going to move your ship or your body one way or another unless they're going for some kind of new sensor and there's not a whole lot more other than if you put all the components together the keyboard the mouse the controller sticks those are all different sets to interact with your gameplay i'm not sure that one is going to have an advantage over the other if i'm used to my uh, g19 and my g35 and and my warthog and i've got it all set up for me i don't know that i'm going to be at any less disadvantage than a person who's got the top-end full suite of RSI stuff. Okay, there was one comment that Chris made that actually, when I was uh, watching the Gamescom presentation back, because, you know, the first time I watched it, I was just in awe of everything. And quite frankly, my wallet started climbing out of my pocket and <laughs> the credit card just ended up on the desk and I have no idea what happened after that. Um, but one of, the, one of the comments that I heard from Chris when I was watching it back, and I realized this is probably just a throwaway line, but heck, in the interest of uh, podcastism, I'm going to rip mm. it to shreds. Which was, as it was unveiled, he said, you were complaining that the HOTAS, you can't aim the gimbaled guns as well as if you have a mouse. So we basically just stuck a mouse on the HOTAS. Which, to me, seems like that they're throwing hardware to solve what should be a software issue. In the, and this is where my argument for controller balance was uh, kind of pinned on. It but was, I, I can do that now already with mine. I've got a mouse on my, on my joystick. Or, or one that I can emulate a mouse on there. On the Warthog? Yeah. Right, okay. But for anybody who's using a standard HOTAS, you're going to have to use a mouse separately? No, no, and no. Uh, I'm looking at my X52, and it's also got a mouse button on there that you can... You Why don't you say that again into the mic? I'm sorry. I was turning around to look at my X52. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but it also has a, a nub mouse on there that, that acts as a mouse control. So there are other joysticks out there that have thumb controls that you can emulate mouse if you wish. Yeah, I've got the X52 Pro, and, and mine also has a thumb mouse on the throttle side. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the technology exists today, and even if RSI were to make this exclusive whatever, there's no reason Thrustmaster can't build their own HOTAS with a, oh, yeah, with a thumb trackball. Yeah, totally. And it is yeah. uh, this game, for hardware manufacturers in general, is going to be a great thing, because how many people are going to go yeah. out and buy HOTASes, not necessarily the RSI one, just any as a result yeah. of Star Citizen, it's going to be quite a few. So, no, I yeah. completely see it coming back. Well, the the one piece that got me, and now that you brought it up, was the LED touch panel. Now that, well, yeah. that got me because, okay, why can't I have my little HP uh, Stream 8 with a add-on or a, a Windows app downloaded that logs me into the game and gives me the same functionality? It's a touch screen. It's a little 8-inch tablet. Why couldn't it take that role? It would not surprise me if one day it could. All it is is just 
APIs, right? Right. That's all. That, mean, exactly. Just, it wouldn't surprise me if one day I could use my Nexus Seven, run an Android app, and connect it via its USB jack to my tower, and it wouldn't surprise me if that would, if that was a thing. Right. I hope it's a thing. I hope so too. Yeah. I'm saving up for the top end of the RSI thing just because. I mean, I probably will not ever use it, but I just want. It's like a collector's want, item, right? Yeah, um, right, right, right. You'll never take it out of the box. You know, mint condition. You'll sell it at a convention in 20 years. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think the other part of this too is that you know they're already talking about designing offsets in the game balance to penalize people for being able to aim better with a mouse or trackball whether it's a standalone trackball on your desk like some of us already use or whether it's one embedded in your in your joystick there's going to be a firepower penalty for being able to aim better and so that balanced decision that you're going to have to make as a, as a ship owner and a, as a ship pilot will still exist now it may just be that you can steer your ship and steer your gun simultaneously. The guns that you're going to steer aren't going to hit as hard as the guns that you have fixed on the front end of your ship that aim where your ship is aiming. Uh, that's just a balance trade-off you're going to have to make. So you know you can buy the extra super high-end hardware, but then in the game you're going to have to buy the hardware that isn't as powerful to take advantage of that extra little uh, control subtlety on your controller. All right, well, after the hustle and bustle of Gamescom last week, it's back to the old grind for the devs, as this week's Star Marine update tells us. With the code on lockdown in order to not completely embarrass the demo team in Germany, last week was a time of code branch merging and game feature breaking. Between the 1.1.6 patch, the Gamescom demo, and a new merge for the FPS, PU, and AC modules into one development stream, many things went pear-shaped. But such is life out here on the bleeding edge. Animations are being reconnected, gadgets reconfigured, and the new skeleton rig is being rolled out. And a little teaser of a new game mode on the Gold Horizon map managed to sneak in. Expect more info on that next week. And that's a quote. Right, so we had this update about Star Marine, and it's raised a few concerns. No, I'm kidding. It hasn't no, raised. No, no. no. <laughs> um, you already God. had your concern for the week. Yes. You're done. No, I am uh, I am just wondering, though, because uh, the timeline that they gave during the presentation was basically social right. module is going to be hitting, then FPS is going to be hitting, then CitizenCon. So it kind of gives them until uh, October 10th is the date of CitizenCon. So it gives them until then right. to get the FPS module out. With the things that they were saying in there, uh, there was one thing that actually we didn't mention in this, which was that they said that a lot of the Foundry 42 guys are being taken off and being put on the FPS development, which is taking a bit of the load off of Ilphonic. And mm. yeah, that's that's kind of the, the sort of noise I made when I read it as well, which <laughs> makes me wonder, with everything that they've got to do with the rolling out of the skeleton, like you said, the new animations and everything of that nature, is it actually going to be ready by October 10th? Well... Uh, here we are in August, and I think if I set the Wayback Machine for April-ish, I think we were saying, pessimistically, we're talking August here, folks. Okay, well, now we're talking optimistically, maybe October. I said a couple weeks ago, if they hit all their marks by December of this year, I think the train is going to be designated back on track. And so, while I think it's a good aspirational goal to hope that we have uh, the first-person shooter in our hands by CitizenCom, I am not going to hold my breath. Yeah. And again, I'm not dissing anybody or we're not, you know, raising more bracketed concerns or anything. It's just there's a lot to do, and they have decided that they're going to release polished, operational, smoothly functioning things. 
and that takes extra time. So again, I, th I think it's a very, still a very aspirational thing to say that they'll get all this stuff out uh, by the end of 2015, and by the, all this stuff I mean Arena Commander 2.0 as well, because that's that was part of the release timeline that they've been talking about. Uh, great if they can do it, that's fantastic. But you know, it's it, it, it just seems well. I mean, this week's a good example because you know the reason that I, I pulled that stuff out of Star Marine, they're now merging all three pieces to work together. And they're optimistic about their progress, and I think that's wonderful, but that takes time to iron out all the pieces. And then they're going to have to release more pieces, like Social Module. And once that gets out in the wild, God only knows what's going to happen once you get, you know, 100,000, 200,000 rabid alpha testers on there, you know, trying to break everything. Who knows what they're going to uncover when that happens when it goes out live. And then they're going to release first-person shooter module at some point. Who knows what will happen when that goes out live, 200,000 concurrent users. So, I mean, let's be optimistic, but let's be cautious. Citizen Con, let's hope, but let's cut them the slack we've always been cutting them. Add 60 or 90 days to whatever estimate that they give us and just know that, hey, that's development. Excellent. Well, we've got the social module. We've got the first-person shooter module. Jeff, why don't you tell us about some other modules? Well, one of the features I think very few people saw coming from the announcements at GamesCon was the news that the Retaliator was being made modular, starting from... um. Now, you can buy yourself a base retaliator and outfit it with a whole slew of modules to make your retaliator unique. Don't like the fact it comes with a torpedo bay? Swap it out for a living quarters. Prefer to be a dropship, and you can do that too. As always, with the introduction of major systems change, there's been a few questions raised. But luckily, CIG have us covered with the retaliator modules Q&A. First, people were asking, what happens to the old retaliator? Am I stuck with a solid lump of ship? The answer is, of course, no. You essentially get converted to a retaliator plus torpedo base, and then you're free to purchase any additional modules you want and swap out the configurations to your heart's content. Another question that was raised is, what happens if I don't equip any modules on my base retaliator? The answer is, as it turns out, large parts of your ship interior will be inaccessible. Yes, you have to purchase modules in order to get a complete ship. So. Those of you just looking for a cheap way to get a retaliator, sorry, no dice. Modules. We're going to uh, build ships Lego style now. This is kind of what I've been hoping for ever since my Connie's, you know, upgrade points or whatever got taken away, you know, upgrade slots. This is kind of the direction I'd hoped they'd take, but now that we're seeing some of the um, pricing strategies, shall we call it? Um, <laughs> is that what you call um, it? <laughs> scritchy, scratchy head time, I think, uh, boys and girls. Jeff, go ahead, light us off. Well, I'm actually hoping this for a, lar a lot of, of, well, basically all ships. Even the, okay. I mean, even down to the Aurora, I'm hoping that we get, you know, some modules that we can swap in and out to make our all of our ships more versatile. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But as far as the retaliator goes, hmm, I'm thinking Sexton. <laughs> You're thinking what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Could you say that into my other headphones? <laughs> uh, shocking, wasn't it? I was just. I'm sorry. I was just. I was just waiting to shock you all. I just. Oh no, that's making it into the show. That's not even a blooper <laughs> was, thing. I'm, I was just hey, hoping that you know you're. Hey man, you, you know, put me on the spot, theorizing. Right? It's like, you know, like okay, what stingray. Hey, baby, fuzzy dice in the in the rear view. <laughs> that's mirror. right. You know, a rotating water bed. You know, hard hey. shaped water bed. The whole th the whole works. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's the two hundred dollar module option. I was you know, going to say torpedo yeah. bays. They're only seventy five dollars, but you know. I've got a torpedo bay in my retaliator. 
Okay, trying but, to steer this oh, back on track. Yeah, we were trying to record a show here. We yeah. were trying to. That was an attempt we were making, I think, uh, a little while ago. But I, I, uh, Lennon, Lennon what, what, what's your take on this? We know what Jeff wants to do with his new free empty spaces in his show. <laughs> yeah, so... Like you were saying, the, I think the one real prohibitive thing, certainly at the moment, and I'd be interested to see or to even know how this will carry over to the Persistent Universe when it's launched, is that right now, if you bought the base retaliator, you could just go ahead and put, say, uh, a living quarters in the front and a living quarters in the rear. Those are $25 each, uh, so it's $50 on top of the base price of um, 150 so you're looking at $200 for a retaliator with a lot of living space. That could also be cargo, but if you want anything that's slightly more functional, for example a torpedo bay to add to your base hull, you're looking at an additional $50 for the rear torpedo bay and $75 for the front, so an additional $125 on top of the price of the base module. Interestingly, if you also want the dropship module, that itself is uh, $75. So whilst it gives you a lot of flexibility, the fact that you're having to pay practically double to outfit a ship at the top end, then yes, you're going to be paying quite a hefty price for this. And like I said, I'd be keen to know how that's going to translate over to the Persistent Universe when, in theory, pledging money for ships and ship parts is going to be a thing of the past. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't mind the dynamic of, you know, having a, a base model ship and then putting in stuff to make it do different things. I mean, that's... I've been kind of advocating for that. I don't know if switching to that model midstream is such a great idea for the pledge portion, right? Once you're in the game and you you know claim your ship and you have it in your hangar and you see what is open and what is filled with the you know standard parts, and there's some sort of auction house or in-game market where you can use in-game currency to buy and sell. I think that's one thing. But we've had the discussion about uh, the VD store. We've had the discussion about Wreck and why it kind of sucks it as temporary and not permanent. We've had all these discussions about the crowdfund, different crowdfunding models. I don't know that it's such a swell idea to change the fundraising mechanic from the something that's always been there and always worked to this new thing. Because I got bad news for you, Jeff. I'm imagining your hot tub for your Connie upgrade is now going to be a module. I, I don't know. I the, They still have the uh, Aquila and the Taurus upgrades in the thing. I check occasionally to make sure that I'm not missing yeah. an opportunity to upgrade to the Phoenix. But I suspect that because it's the complete style of the ship, I mean... It's a luxury model. The whole thing is deck. It's not just a hot tub, but the whole thing is spit polished and wood and, and chrome. Again, I'm worried that somebody up there is going to make this a bad thing, this whole modular thing. Because when you think about it, these components or these modules for your ship shouldn't cost as much as the ship themselves. Here's the fun, you know, sort of parallel in real life. I mean, if you take a early model fighter jet and you want to modernize it sometimes the modernization program will almost double the cost of the original fighter oh yeah but that's that's expect that's like that's like a chassis upgrade this is like buying an xbox and buying a super elite controller after the fact for a hundred bucks where the xbox costs 450 that's to me is what the module system is 
Well, I mean, you know, the relative price of it may change once we get into the universe, but I think that's, I mean, for me, that's just another reason to make this more of an in-universe thing, not a, you know, a, a pledge and drive. I, and, and I agree with you. I think it's more, should be more in-universe thing. I mean... Well, I mean, you know, for example, in, in Elite Dangerous, I mean, I bought my Imperial Clipper, which is a sort of a top-end, sort of all-around, all-purpose vessel for about 21 million space bucks, right? But then I went and I got the big shield generator that you can fit on this thing and that was like 50 million space bucks so the shield generator itself is worth more than twice what the base hull is but it's the biggest shield generator and that you can uh, mount on a ship in the game and hardly any ships can mount this thing so the module itself if we were you know using economic type things would be a rare difficult monster of a thing that you'd want to put on a ship yeah and i can understand so that sense. but you had other choices in elite dangerous you could you didn't have to yes. put on the big no. thing you could put on a little one that would cost you a million dollars right yes i could yep and for some gameplay styles that would make sense and that's really what i'm driving at here we don't have any gameplay styles right now with which to make these choices Right now, I don't know what the difference is between being a torpedo guy or being a dropship guy. We don't have the game mechanics fleshed out. We don't know what the relative expense of a torpedo is versus the relative expense of hiring an NPC marine squad. You know, and I don't know what the gameplay of attacking a capital ship versus taking over a capital ship, you know, destroying one or, or trying to capture one. I don't have that information. I can't make a decision based on the kind of game that I want to play, because there's no gameplay yet. So I'm here voting with my wallet. And that's fine as a fundraising thing, but can we go back to the way we've always done it, which is variance or buy the base ship and later you can upgrade in the game? So I do just want to point out that the Retaliator, when it was a standalone ship, uh, which had a, a Bombay front and back, I believe, was 275 So if you want to buy the same ship, you are able to do so for exactly the same price as you were able to do previously. My main issue with it is, like you said, Tony, that we have no way of knowing what would be the best economical sense with our real-world dollars right now. If it was just space bucks that we were spending, that's absolutely fine. You know, you can always earn them, you can grind them out, you can swap everything over. And they did say that the modules are going to be purchasable with REC, so you can hire modules, for want of a better term to go on your retaliator but in order to spend real world money on it i think that this is kind of hit a bit too fine a point you know you could say that we don't have enough gameplay mechanics ideas to know you know should i buy a retaliator versus a constellation which is going to be the better for it you know but there's a lot of broad sweeping assumptions that we can make when it gets to the the finer aspects though like you said you know torpedo versus crew we just don't have that kind of information to hand so i'm wondering if the way that crg are actually trying to do this is to make it so that the retaliator is a slightly more affordable ship for those who wanted to purchase it but were turned off by the price tag so it's like okay just buy the uh, modules that don't give you functionality and you can get a retaliator for 200 bucks which is 75 dollars off but I think if that was their intention, the way that it's being presented, it looks more like a cash grab, if anything. Oh, my God. You know what? I think I'm going to put cash grab right up there with slap in the face. <laughs> I, you know, it's not... Of course, everything they do is a cash grab. Anything that they put out there, you know, to, to bring in revenue is, by definition, a cash grab. Yeah. But and also, I said I, I, appears I to be. Not, not that I think it yes, is. Yeah. I don't think right. that they purposely Your did well this taken, to, though. you know, increase revenue because they've made the overall cost of the ship less on average because there's going to be some people who are going to pay the $200 level for a retaliator. Right. 
And I think if CIG decided to make other larger ships available sans modules for less than the asking price that they were going for before and saying, you can have the hull, and since you don't know what kind of gameplay that we're going to have for you yet and or what it entails, wait to load it up until you're getting the game. That might yes. be a way to lower the price point of some of these ships that they have promised us. This is the cheapest you're ever going to get the ship, right? Remember all these primes mm -hmm. we promised, and remember all the old school people that are like, but now you're going to sell it for even cheaper for later on. This might be a way to overall lower the price points of some of these ships and yet still keep the promises to those early adopters, those early backers. Well, they're not getting the same ship you got. They're getting the base hull without the functionality. And they can go get it later on in the game or they can you know, go to the, the VD store or hire it with Rack. Maybe they don't want to come right out and say that because then we'll start another firestorm on the forums. But I don't see the harm, really, in looking at it that way. Sell me a Connie that doesn't have a hot tub and doesn't have a snub fighter and doesn't have a cargo elevator. And sell me one of those for 100 bucks. And then when I, get, when I get in the game, I can buy the higher-end fighter and a sensor package and a skateboard ramp because I want to you know, do interstellar skateboarding competitions in my cargo bay. Do it that way. That's not necessarily a bad thing, and maybe they should just come right out and say that. So now it's time for news we didn't use. Ten for the Writers, Episode 4. Get your questions answered by Forrest Stefan and Omar Awida. Gamescom wrap-up. Everything you might have missed if you're running for president of Cambodia. Mining Rocks, August 2945. Shubin Interstellar's latest employee newsletter. Bug Smashes! Episode 8. Mark Ebbins' one-man war on bugs is back. And Around the Verse, episode 56, featuring yet more wrap-up news from Gamescom. And that'll bring us to this week's community question. Talk to us about modules, modularity, and modulation. Are you happy with the new paradigm, or should we go back to the old way that we also used to complain about? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news from around the verse, let's get crowdfunding to preserve our future history in Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay that means get on your feet, Nuggets! The following is a special presentation from EBC One, Empire Broadcasting Corporation. Good evening, Spectrum. This is Brack Hickson from EBC News. Tonight, we're calling upon every citizen and civilian who loves history, heritage, and peace. I'm here at the Banu Friendship Museum orbiting Davian 4. It's located here, on the very station first created as a military mission in the 25th century. Now, it's a historical museum, dedicated to sharing the tale of how humans and the Banu met, and now live in harmony. But out here on the edge of the Empire, funding to honour this important piece of our shared heritage is sparse. Isn't that right, Kerry? That's right, Brack. Kerry Kerrigan here, and we need your help. The BFM, the Banu Friendship Museum, needs your help to stay open. Sure, it's not as flashy as some you see on Art Corp or New Austin, 
But its story is a part of us all. And we can't let places like this fade to dust. So we've decided to help by running a Spectrumathon to raise funds to help the museum keep this important history alive for anyone who takes the trip out here. I want to introduce you to someone who's been with the museum for quite some time. Gregory, say hello to the folks out on the Spectrum. Well, hi there, Breck, Carrie. Huge fan. Love you guys. And I love the BFM. I've been here since it opened. Thanks, Gregory. So what is it you do here? Well, I'm the assistant manager of the Hangar Flare Shop. Everything from posters to ship models to weird doohickeys with no practical value at prices you can't believe. I see. So tell us, how do you use the money that you take in from the sales? Every penny goes straight into museum development. We could sure use your help for sure. But we aren't just asking for donations. We're giving away some nice prizes. Well, tell us more. Well, with a donation of 100 credits, we'll send you this mug. When it's cold, you just see Davian. But when you pour in some hot coffee, the jump point to Cathcart appears. That jump point was the one used by the first Benud a human ever met. That's amazing. How did you do that? Are you some kind of wizard? I'm just getting started. For 500 UEC, we'll send you this authentic diorama of the first meeting. This one is Vernon Tarr, the independent nav jumper. And this, of course, is the Banu he met, who is actually a fleeing fugitive. You press this to turn it on. Now, some folks say Vernon thought he was getting claim jumped, so he shot at the poor fellow, but luckily no one was hurt. Well, you need that for your office, Brack. Right you are, Kerry. Any amount helps, but for 100 credits, you can get the mug. Or for 500 credits, the first contact model can be yours. We have operators standing by to take your donations. Let me show you how easy it is. Um, hello, this is Sean. How may I take your money today? Uh, yes, hello, Sean. I'd like to donate to the BFM, please. Great. Uh, please press 6 to donate 100 credits or SQ42 to donate 500 credits. Uh, can't I just authorize a pre-generated Glass credit transfer? Oh, I certainly recognize most people are used to a more automated system, but we wanted to have a more personal touch at the Banu Friendship Museum, make you invest in the process. Uh, right, okay, so SQ42. Oh, yes, thank you. It shows that amount. Great. Now, please just key in your shipping address into form SQ42 that has appeared on your Glass, please. Can I fill that out in a moment? I'm still on the air here. Oh, 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 sure, yes. I'll tell you what, I'll transfer you to the too-busy-to-fill-in-form-SQ42 department. Yeah, please hold. <laughs> right, and if you donate within the next 30 minutes, Aegis Dynamics, whose home is in the underground city of Jeta on Davian 2, well, they will match any donation amount. Well, I'm sure you don't want to just listen to us the whole time. So let's watch a data drop presentation on the first contact from LexLore. LexLore Information System sponsors the following data drop. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he frequently writes joke couplets no one understands, and that his humor is only truly appreciated by pygmy marmosets. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. 
Community question last week, how could it be anything other than Gamescom? Is it everything you hoped for, or were you really hoping to see that special little feature that they just didn't show? Well, luckily our roving reporter Tabascoid was on the scene there, and he wrote a report exclusively for Guard Frequency, the whole of which you'll be able to find in the show notes. It does go into quite some detail about his thoughts on everything from the community tools, the SciTech announcement with the HOTES and the peripherals. He does also bring up some good points about the FPS. He was saying that whilst he was on site the FPS looks good so far. Although we haven't seen the actual breathing mechanic, inventory management or details on the entry model for the new animations in Zero G, it's all looking pretty sweet. And he goes on to say about the jump mechanic and to quote, I have to describe the moment when we activated the quantum travel drive for the first time. Everybody was clapping when they showed off the mod crew movement within the cutlass then Chris said one thing to look before we jump. With the magical word jump The audience in Cologne suddenly got silent for the first time this evening. I heard some whispers. Did he say jump? Still, silence. Then Chris said, let's jump. And 2,000 backers held their breaths. Then the quantum drive charge sound rumbled and the floor began to vibrate. And when the quantum drive was finally activated, this silence broke into loud cheering. We'll get used to the quantum travel drive someday in Star Citizen. But today, it was an amazing experience. That was probably pretty cool to be there. Oh, yes. Sean Newboy says, well, at least the news about the social part of the game coming soon was unexpected. I think the Glaive sale was poorly done. Wonderful show, everybody. Osron writes in and says, the AC 2.0 demo was impressive, and the news about the social module dropping soon was a nice surprise. I was surprised and sort of saddened by the Glaive sale. I just don't feel that it's in the spirit of the game. It's basically a reward for the best esports Twitch players in the verse, the ones who can spend eight hours a day in AC dogfighting and practicing. Those people would always exist, but the game's advertised policy has been that there would be mitigating factors to allow those with less time to remain relevant. And there's basically none of that here. I wouldn't mind if the glaze were AC only, but the PU versions I don't think make sense. Finally, while the customized ships were a nice development and seeming to return to the original intent of the ships like the Connie, I wonder if they might have sabotaged their own revenue stream. That may be oversimplifying it, but someone who can turn their retaliator into a medical ship with a medbay modules, why have the hope variant for the Endeavor? Or if you can install dropship modules, what's the point of the Redeemer? I think they need to make sure to highlight or create the advantages of the dedicated ships over the multi-role modular ones if they're going to end up with a galaxy full of two and three of the same ships that people just keep refitting as needed. Galen Ricklothreen writes in to say Gamescom was way more than I'd hoped for. I've never lost belief in what CRG could deliver, but the presentations restored the belief that they could meet the deadlines they have announced. What I believe is a more important question is, did it do enough to silence the critics? And from what I saw, definitely yes. Over the last few weeks before Gamescom, my news feeds were full of negative articles, or clickbait titles at least. Since the CIG presentation, every article showing up in my newsfeed has been positive, normally extremely positive, talking about how polished everything looked. I also checked out a certain someone's blog after the presentation just to see what they had to say, and as you guys pointed out, he rightly struggled to find any fault. What can I say? Someone poked the bear, and boy did the bear respond to put him back in his box. Benu says, The Gamescom multi-crew demo was awesome. I, like many others, loved that it didn't come off perfectly, since it showed that they were really doing it live. They could just as easily cut over to the pre-recorded press version of the demo, but no. 
They showed us the real stuff with the very real risk that something could go wrong. All my boxes got ticked and my expectations were met. Pure awesome. Looking forward to hearing Tony babble with joy for a little while. Oh, 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 come on. That was, I, I made poetry. I made poems, song for you people. Babble. Babbling, sir. <laughs> well, the listeners did raise some good points, especially one thing that we didn't really touch on, which was the glaive sale. Yes, I believe Jeff had a thought or two about that. I have to agree with what Osteron said. I mean, when I look at playing, it's like, well, I don't play this game eight hours a day. I'm a fairly good to Midland pilot, but I really have no chance to make it up. And, you know, part of my crew is away and it's like, this doesn't seem fair at all. So I, I was a little disappointed with the whole glaive thing. Really was. Dan, if you do, Dan, if you don't. I mean, you know, you can sell it, then people call it a... What did you say, Lennon? Uh, cash grab. Cash, cash grab. grab. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I was trying to remember the word. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we're going to add that to the list of banned words on Garfield. Anyway. Well, that's the thing. It was already out of my vocabulary. Oh, so. good. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, so that's why you had a hard time remembering it. Excellent. Yeah, you know, if you sell it for money, then you got that problem. But if you make it an in-game reward for hitting a certain milestone, then you've got... Uh, you know Jeff's issue. So I mean, there's really no easy way to do it. Maybe they should do both. Maybe they should offer half of them to people that can pay cash, and then the other half to the people that uh, do well in the game. You know, maybe uh, you know, I don't know. The first person to get uh, a certain level of wreck can turn in all their wreck to do it, because that's the time currency that they're using right now in Star Citizen. And you know, hopefully, we don't get in letters from using you know that word, time-based currency. There's just no easy way to do it. I kind of do take issue, though, with the in-fiction support justification for offering the glaive out there, though. I sort of agree with Ostron's point there that, hey, sure, if it's an in-game universe video game, fly any ship you want. But if it's something that's going to translate to a persistent universe thing, eh, not so sure. It sort of ruins my immersion to have you know humans flying around in too many Vandal ships. Well, I, I think the simple solution is why limit it to a thousand people? Why not just offer it as a reward for beating level 18 of the thing? And that gives us some, everybody something to get better at or strive for. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, if the AI is supposed to be that good, then that's quite an achievement. And the reward for getting that achievement, and you know that, that that's the reward, you're going to be trying. I mean, it may take you six months to get that good. So what? You know you're going to get it. Yeah. And, you know, let's take a, a cue from another game that we know and love, Star Trek Online. I mean, during special events, if you play a certain mission a certain number of times or if you beat a certain number of optional objectives or whatever, you get a free ship uh, yeah. during certain celebrations. Yeah. Maybe that's, you know, CIG, I know that that's the revenue stream right now selling these ships, but maybe they need to start looking at stuff like that to sort of silence some of these uh, issues. I think the other thing to point out with the Glaive sale, though, and I'm not saying I agree with it because I don't, because, like Ostrom was saying, anybody who has eight hours a day to spend in AC can hone their skills and can get to the top before anybody, you know, what happens if this was released and you don't even get to play for a week? Chances are it's going to be gone. Yeah. The important thing, though, to remember is that it isn't a free glaive by any stretch of the imagination. It's an offer to purchase. And one, not everyone's going to take them up on that offer for a start. I mean, I'm sure the vast majority will, but not everyone will. Secondly, even if they did have it purchasable for wreck, the issue with that is that that still is those who play continually and get good at will earn wreck quicker and can therefore we'd be in the same situation. It would just be spread out across multiple game modes rather than just a singular one. And yeah, so I think truly, if you're looking to put a limited number craft in the game, the only way to do it fairly is random lottery, which would kind of suck. 
So it's a tricky one to do. Maybe the actual answer is they just shouldn't be selling Vandal ships. Maybe they should only be achievable in-universe, like you said, by completing a certain mission track or that type like of thing. capture the Vandal ship. Exactly, yes. Yeah. That would seem to make the most sense to me. In fiction-wise, it would seem to make the most sense to me for rarity purposes. And it would seem to make the most sense to me monetarily because I suppose theoretically you could, quote, hire an NPC to go capture a Vandal ship for you and, you know, pay Robert Space Industries directly yeah. in real money to unlock that mission or something. The other thing as well is, as these ships are going to be rare, a thousand of them to be potentially seen throughout the verse with the citizen numbers that we've got, that's still a, a relatively large chunk for one of a better term. There's a, they wouldn't yeah. be that infrequent to see them yeah. out there. Yes, one out of every 750 at this point. Exactly, basically. yeah. That's, yeah. that's exactly the point I was trying to make right there. So, thank you. Brybase writes in and says, Yamazuki 12 is the best whiskey out there, in my opinion. Damn shame that the price of it doubled in the last few years. Ryokan says, and this is aimed squarely at Jeff, after listening to the lamentations of losing your controls, whilst it's annoying, the easy fix that I do is to export your controls, then make a copy of those XML files somewhere outside of your Star Citizen folder. Then, after a patch, just load up the game, Alt-Tab out, put the copy of your already configured controller mapping XML back into the correct folder. That XML will be available for import once you open the menu for the first time after the XML files have been copied into the correct folder. It might be annoying, but it's way less annoying than having to rebind an entire setup. Just remember to keep those most up-to-date mapping XML files copied outside of the user folder, since it gets deleted on every update. Also, Gamescom made me openly weep for the sheer beauty of the Arena Commander 2.0 demo, made for an awkward few moments in the office. Sunny from the diner says, I have said it before and I'll say it again. There's no better podcast for Robert Space Industries Star Citizen than the guys at Guard Freak. Did we have to pay him for that? Did he just say that without any sort no, of... No, that's completely free. Oh, wow. Apparently. Wow. I want to know what, he, what he's after. Yeah. But, and there may yeah. be, we may have incurred some obligations at some point. And, folks, I got bad news for you. The Shiv got into one of his usual Twitter pun festivals again, this time catching Darian Vorlick up in the, uh, what's the word, action? Fun? Hijinks? Whatever. He lovingly reproduced the entire thing here in the feedback notes, but in the interest of time and quality control... Mainly that. We'll just direct you to our Twitter feed, at GuardFreak. That's G-U-A-R-D-F-R-E-Q on Twitter. Our new Patreons this week is B. The patron is simply listed as B. Our winner of a brand new patch is Salodian. I'm doing that on purpose, Salodian. <laughs> I want you to notice the dead silence there on the no prompting. I just, I want you to, I gave you some respectful distance to do something with that. So I just, I just want that noted for the record. And this week's community question, talk to us about modules, modularity, and modulation. Are you happy with the new paradigm or should we go back to the old way of selling ships? that we also used to complain about. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. So, how was the show? Did we wait for Jared to switch to Red 5, or did we tell him over and over and over while he was trying to press the button? Either way, let us know. Here's some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. You can also subscribe at feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just look us up on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. 
And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 84 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 85 on August 25th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. Hey, send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down, you can use the contact form on our website. All the details for all the ways that you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, just send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister publications, Priority One, covering Star Trek Online and the greatest Star Trek universe, and our latest show, On Screen, takes an MST3K-ish look at Star Trek the Original Series. Head on over to PriorityOnePodcast.com and OnScreenPodcast.com to check them out. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. If you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you should join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start at recording around 11 p.m. Central, that's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Trollton Edwards, and our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Captain 3300, Carol 15. Stay on the guard. Now, it may just be that you can steer your ship and steer your gun simultaneously, but the guns that you're going to steer will hit less hard. I make, I'm a podcaster. I make good sentence. Eng- English <laughs> is my thing. Well, Let me try that again. Animations are being retconned. Gadgets reconfigured. Oh, reconnected. Yep, that's... Uh, oh, yeah. You could retcon it, too, if you wanted to, oh, but sure there's no could. reason to retcon a duck or a crouch. <laughs> Sorry, no reason to wreck on a duck. I think that might be our title, actually. Um, <laughs> but such is life out here on the edge. I've got a torpedo bay in my retaliator. <laughs> I think we found another show title right there. <laughs> <laughs> the show titles just keep on coming. Gallon Rick Lothreen. Gallon Rick Lothreen lights. You okay there, Jeffrey? Gallenrick Lothreen writes in to say Gamescom was made. Oh, wow. <laughs> How many members of the UE fleet are there? Approximately 100,000. Approximately 100k. So. No, no. 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 We're, we're, we're almost up to a million now, bud. Are we? Wow. Yeah, yeah. 900. Oh, 900. Sorry, 900k. Just let me, allow me to quote you the number. 959,000 star citizens and the UE fleet is at. Uh, 750,000 ships. Sorry, I could see the numbers in my head. I was trying to read them out loud. What I actually meant was a million, so that's fine. But Do you always divide your estimates by a factor of 10? Yes, yeah. Like, for example, I thought this show was going to be done ages ago, and we're still going, so... (laughs) 
we should have been we should have wrapped this thing up by episode eight yes. seriously yeah i mean why don't why are we at episode 80 this, this we should have no seriously okay. um it, what what my point was going to be is um okay jeff, jeff line jeff go jeff, <clears throat> go, jeff <throat> go jeff go jeff right. yes <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm not gonna do it anymore go ahead start over again uh, i just ignored you I, I thought i did pretty good there you did you did do pretty good ignoring me but just make mikey's life easier all right fine but above all we especially want to thank you but above jeez. it's the same every week i know okay. you even came up with this i know I really like it. It's good. It's yeah, good. It's, it's a good bit. Nice. It's a good bit. Well That's what I do it every week. I mean, I know. It's a, it's a thing. It's a, it's a catchphrase mm. almost. You'd think I could get it right. Between the balls and the torpedoes, <laughs> nothing's stopping us now, gentlemen. <laughs>